Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So we continue our sermon series on questions that Jesus asks and answers and avoids. And today's one that Jesus avoids. We could have a whole other whole other section for for people that ask Jesus questions. Questions that you're asking but not really asking. Sort of like a middle school, you know, boy, does you know, does she like me or whatever? But not going to that person. It's all the sort of like beat around the bush type of questions. When they real the questions they say to Jesus, you know, by what authority you're doing these things is really, are you the Messiah? Like that's what they want to know. They want to know, are you the Messiah? They've been asking questions from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, like. Who is this that has the power to forgive your sins? Who is this that's willing to do this? Who is this that can do this? All through the whole thing. But really the question they want to know is, are you the Messiah? Like a couple later on down the road, they're like, tell us plainly if you're the Messiah. It took them three years to get to this point and about a cross in the background before they're willing to say it. But today's question, by what authority are you doing these things? So we have to sort of, go back, just rewind a second to see what things he's doing. The things that he's doing are, he went into the into uh, the temple and overturned the money changer tables. Remember that? You've made my house, uh, my father's house, a den of thieves. That one, and that's, that's sort of a big deal um, for somebody to go in and uh, disrupt the temple in that way. Uh, you probably should have some authority. He also cursed that fig tree um, and said, you know, and, and so they're there. And then he just begins teaching. And so by what authority do you have over the temple to make, in some ways, this prophetic message about the temple? Um, and Jesus says, well, I'll answer your question if you answer my question. John's baptism, was it from God or was it from men, right? And uh, so then they all got to their little holy huddle, right? And they're like, if, we're like well, if we say from God, he's going to say, well, you didn't listen to him. If we say from men, the crowd is going to like kill us. So we'll just say, we don't know. Jesus is like, okay, well, then I'm not telling you either, <laughs> but I'll tell you a story, right? A man had two sons, and he said to the first son, go and work in the vineyard, and that son said, no, but then he decided, oh, maybe I will, right? And then the second one had, he said, go into the vineyard, he said, yes, I will go, and then didn't. So which one actually really did the will of the Father? And they said the first goes right. Jesus could have just left it there, but he wanted to make sure he knew exactly what they knew exactly what he was saying, which was uh, tax collectors and prostitutes are going to the kingdom of God before you because they listened to John the Baptist and changed their their mind and now follow the will of the Father. And you didn't. You keep saying that you. You do, but you're not um, repentant, and you're and you're still neglecting the things um, that John was calling you to account for. 
um, like when John said, um, God can raise up children of Abraham out of these stones. You need to change your hearts. You still didn't change your hearts, right? And uh, so we, it sort of ends there uh, with, this, with this message of um, to, to, to the Pharisees and to the priests and to the scribes and all those and the crowd all around who obviously hear this. Um, that Jesus now has just said, basically all the normal people are going to the kingdom into heaven and not the holy people. Which is a pretty radical comment um, to be making. Right? Um, and we'll see more of this like the next three weeks, I think, sort of build off of exactly this question today as Jesus builds up on not only his authority but on, on the ramifications of those who, who decide not to enter into um, this, what the Messiah truly is. Um, and what the Messiah truly is as we, as we rewind uh, just a little bit is, is all the things that have been happening through um, this this gospel of Matthew, uh, it's it's hard it's hard when we when we have this in the fall time because we skip things like Palm Sunday, which already just happens. So we just had the triumphal entry, and we just had overturning of the tables. We, we skip all those things because we do deal with those closer to Easter time. Uh, but it's but it's that same. We're in this same final week, and Jesus, I've been teaching. John the Baptist has been teaching. There have been signs. There have been, there have been miracles. There's been uh, words. There's been revelation that's taken place that time and time and time again you've, you've ignored. And this last one, this overturning of the temple really is a prophetic action to overturn the tables and the temples, a prophetic action this is, this is the Messiah is going to be the replacement of the temple, right? Just like when Jesus said to the woman at the well, the time is coming and now is when it won't matter whether you worship on this mountain or that mountain or anywhere, but wherever, wherever you are, God will be there with you. And this is what, what Jesus has done in the temple and Jesus has done with the fig tree and is saying, there's the judgment is is upon this temple. All of the all of the rituals that you've done, God is is basically put against you. Um, that you've corrupted it. You've you've left uh, the Gentiles out. Um, you've left women out. All of these things are going to be shifted and changed. And uh, no longer will you have to go just to the holy of holies. No longer will you have to have the priests. No longer will you have sacrifices. The curtain tears from top to bottom. On, on Good Friday, and it's all open. And this is exactly what Jesus is is proclaiming um, to who the Messiah is through that action, which is why it's a really good question that they have, if they could actually ask the question in a really good way, right? But they're not listening anyway. The question for us um, 
oftentimes it seems like it gets spun around to, well then, which type of person are we going to be? Right? Are we going to be the, the, the son that even when we say no, then goes and does, or the one that says yes and then doesn't? Um, but there's more, there's, there's better news in this than just that. Right? Because I think, I think, for many people, they, they see that, um, or they feel that they're, they're not worthy or not deserving, that they've said no too many times, um, and they've gone and done too many things. Um, and it's too late. And that's just not so, right? God is always opening. This, this uh, uh, Paul, Paul Zoll, who was, who was the dean of the seminary that I went to, not while I was there, but later, um, said that this, this, is, this little parable is almost like the Cliff Notes version of the prodigal son. It's like this is the, the Cliff Notes version. It's very, very uh, short snippet. And in some ways that's very true, right? I mean, the prodigal son went off and did his own thing, and then came back, and the father ran to me. Meanwhile, the older son stayed around, but still complained and didn't do the things that he was called to do, and belittled his brother besides, right? And this is, um, just taking that image of, of that, is, is, it's never too late. We can always come back to God. If we want to, to think that our holiness somehow is going to shroud us from repentance, that's when we get into trouble. When we say yes to God, and yes to God means I will get up and go to church every Wednesday morning and every Sunday, and I will be this and I will be that, then you get into trouble. But when it's God, I want to draw near to you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The, when the Pharisee who beats his breast and says, you know, I'm not worthy. Um, we don't have to be worthy. But God makes us worthy, which is exactly what Paul talks about in, in his letter to the Philippians. But he says, don't think yourself ever better than somebody else. Don't be like the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests. Don't be like anyone and count yourself higher than anyone else. Don't seek selfish ambition within the church and your own goals. Because Jesus, who has all the power in the world, being the preexistent uh, God, chose not to... The, this, this version is better than many versions. A lot of times we had, we, the, the hymn has been um, not counted equality with God, not something to be grasped, but really it's closer to this, not something to be exalted in, right? Not something to, to, uh, to put people down um, or exploit, may have been the word, not to exploit people. Just because you count yourself a quality with God, um, he didn't use that power to exploit people. Instead, he came and emptied himself, became 
human and humbled himself to death, even death on the cross, in order to draw each of us to God. So this is always, always the difficulty when, when the church and Christians try to start pointing fingers and saying others should be like X, Y, and Z because Jesus became the perfect sacrifice and emptied himself in all ways. In that we're called not just to love Christ, but by loving Christ to serve others in Christ. This spins back to those holy leaders, right? Because part of the dilemma that they had entirely was their own selfish ambition, their own thoughts about the way the systems should work and the way the temple should be and the way God was and their role in that. Instead of the openness that John Baptist first brought and the reality of the kingdom of God that Jesus was bringing into the world. But this was a new kingdom where God's grace and forgiveness and love was going to shine forth. Where the Spirit of the Lord was coming into the world to bring healing and restoration and reconciliation for all. And this message was good news and not news to be trampled or to be shut aside in order for your agenda to continue to be fulfilled. And so Jesus is invited then, even now, to come back. To come back. You've said yes, but you're not doing what you said you're going to do. These other people have said no, but they've come back. You've said yes, but have not gone. But it's not too late. Come back. We sometimes like just, again, to point fingers at all the religious leaders. But Jesus isn't throwing them out either. He's just pushing them a little harder, but still saying, come back. Be a part. Join. Just like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, where he says to the older son, come in. Come in and celebrate. We have to celebrate. Your brother was dead and is now alive. What else can we do but celebrate? For us, the same is true. We always can come back. We can always reach out and draw others in. But indeed, Jesus has come into the world humbled himself that we might have life in this new kingdom.